every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Olivia Looper of Lexicon Content Development. So how does someone with no background in economics become the voice for dozens of financial advisors and CPAs across the country? Well, Olivia's going to tell us that today. She's a classic example of identifying a business need and creating a successful business to cater to that specific niche. So for our conversation, I'm going to be drinking a dogfish head beer I've never had before called Mango Smoothie. Uh, smoothie like J.B. Smooth from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, one of the greatest uh characters of all time. Yeah. Olivia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So what are you going to be drinking? I picked something very appropriate to where I'm from. Um, it's Funky Buddha Floridian Hethweizen. And oh. the top said positively Florida. So how could we go wrong, right? Yeah. So you are in Florida right now, which is great. I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's warm there right now as it is here in the great state of Delaware. It is so warm, but you know, it doesn't change much around the year. So we're used to it. That's good. Perfect. Well, let's jump right in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Yeah, sure. No problem. So, I mean, by my talents, by, you know, who I am, what I've been good at my whole life has been writing. So I started in this business just saying, Hey, you know, um, I really would like to get back into writing. Um, my son had just been born when I started my business. Um, and my mother-in-law asked me, hey, Olivia, you know, I know you've been a teacher, but you just finished your master's degree and you had your son. What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I want to do some writing again. I'm thinking about content writing. And she said, you know, well, not for nothing, but financial advisors, I'm, I'm in the financial advisory industry. Um, she's not an advisor herself, but a business consultant. And she said, financial advisors are looking for good finance writers. There really aren't that many out there. So, you know, if you can hack it, it might be something that you like. So, uh, you know, I'm here with a baby and my husband is going off to work every day and I have a few hours when he takes a nap. So I said, Hey, what the heck? I'm going to try, try writing these blogs. And at first it was really hard because I don't have a background in finance. Sure. A lot of reading books, a lot of online reading, Michael Kitchis and you know, all the people that they're like big names in the industry. I just like read everything they had out there. I could possibly learn, you know, and of course, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So sure. it's an ongoing process, but I just started out writing blogs. And then what happened was the advisors that I was working with were really happy with the product, but they didn't know what to do with the next. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I know that I do this in my business. I market myself, you know, as a writer and things like that. So why can't I just do the, use the same content marketing principles I use to promote my business to promote theirs? Right. And, you know, there was a learning curve there as well, because yes, we're supposed service-based industries, but you know, you're catering to um, you know, I'm B to B and advisors B to C. So there's sure. a little bit of a difference, but, um, you know, again, so back on my journey, learn everything I can about content marketing, uh, use what I learned in my own business 
and, you know, take everybody's advice along the way. And, you know, sort of that's how we ended up here today. How many clients do you have at, at this point? It's so funny that you asked that because my husband, who's who works with me now, um, he and I were just trying to figure this out the other day. I mean, I would say right now we service about 20 advisors. Yeah. Um, one-on-one, but I also provide services for larger marketing companies for their advisors. Oh, so cool. there's my group and then there's the first removed group of advisors that sure. I work for, but don't speak with them one-on-one. So your business is like the most niche thing ever. Like, do you even have, is there even a competitor out there that's doing this for that specific target audience? Well, yeah, yeah, there is. And I've actually, I'm actually pretty good friends with her. Her name is Zoe and she's a perfectly planned content. And she started her business a few years before I did. I think it was only a few years, but interesting. She's just like me. She has an English background. Yeah. Um, I connected with her early on. Um, our business models are very similar, um, but I think beyond us, it moves into like different branches. Like I know, you know, there's Snappy Kraken and they have just, um, like email marketing that you can buy that's sort of already made yeah. uh, enjoying content libraries, but really it's just her and I, and um, that, that have this very similar business model and we're both, we're in it, man. Like we're, <laughs> we're like, you know, going back and forth and, you know, Hey, you know, you looking for more writers, looking for more help. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a good niche to be in because we get to work with like some pretty amazing people. Yeah. And, this is going to sound so corny, <laughs> but I mean, financial advisory, the financial services industry, I mean, it changes people's lives. Sure. I mean, my life has changed since I started writing for the industry and not just because I'm making an income, but because I know what to do with it. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to ask you that if, you know, all the research you've been doing has that. So that's helped you with your own personal finances. Oh, immensely, immensely. Yep. I mean, I am notoriously bad with money. Right. I grew up with you know, a silver spoon in my mouth. I never had to think about what anything. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I, in, in, in my family, it was like the kids shouldn't have to worry about money. That's yeah. all well and good until your kid grows up right. and they have to, you know, <laughs> figure these things out on their own. Sure. You got to be like your trust officer and everything, but he really doesn't care. Right. I mean, day to day, you've got to take care of yourself. It so, is interesting. Uh, you know, that, that's a really interesting point there because I think a, a lot of people struggle with, when do they start telling their kids about how much, how money works and how much money they have personally? You know, I, I started sitting down recently with my kids. Mine, mine are 13, 12 and uh, 10. Actually, today's my 12 year old's birthday. And, oh. um, you know, really trying to say like, here's how much money we have because kids have no idea what $500 is or what $1,000 is. So when you start helping them understand that and how you can lose that by investing and make it, you know, I think it kind of, makes their head explode a little bit, but it's really important. So you don't have to get it to a certain point where you're in your twenties or thirties and go, Holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of just told myself this story that I was just going to be notoriously bad with money for the rest of my life. You know, that was my money script. Right. Yeah. But I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now, I guess, you know, and um, my life's, I mean, it's way more peaceful when your financial ducks are in a row. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, any income level, this is not something that people of just low income levels deal with. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You're not good 
uh, don't know what to do with it, you're not good with putting it in the right places, you're still going to be up the creek without a panel. Absolutely. Well, I would say that, that financial advisors have a job for really three reasons. Number one, people don't want to deal with their finances. Number two, people don't know how to deal with their finances or number three, a combination of the two. So, you know, to be able to learn all that stuff as you go through. So let's, let's show, I, I'm really curious about that. So you are an English bat, you have an English background and then all of a sudden you're writing about derivatives or the S and P 500 or Bitcoin or those sort of things. How do you teach yourself all of that to be able to take super complex ideas and break them down for a consumer who's, you know, wants, wants it, you know, to be in a, in a digestible format. How did you, how did you figure that out and how did you learn how to do that? Well, okay. I think that the, my advantage of not coming from inside the finance industry is that I don't understand these deep complex concepts. And the truth is I don't actually have to all yeah. the time. I feel like there's a bridge. So there's you financial yeah. advisors you have this deep, complex understanding. Then there's the consumer. And then I'm this liaison in the middle, right? So I don't know as much as you, but I know a little bit more than they do. Right. So I, and I can articulate what it is that's happening or what it is we're talking about in a way that gets enough of the meat that shows that you're an expert as an advisor, but is not too uh, convoluted yeah. or overwhelming so that the person who's reading it says, I see value here. I kind of understand what's going on, but I know that I'd be in a better position if I had the expert to help me because there are all of these nuances and things that I don't necessarily understand or don't have time to learn myself. Yeah. You know, that's, that's interesting. So you're sort of like a filter between the super jargon world of financial advisors down to the client where they don't really care about those super jargony terms and that really complex ideas. They just want to know, they just want to get the gist of it. You know, yeah. there are some clients that really want to go into the weeds. There and, are, there are. That's true. But that's not the majority. So right. yeah, and the majority want to read an article and be like, okay, I understand what that meant. So that's really an interesting way. So you built your entire business by being that, that filter. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just, I mean, and it's just a lot of reading. I, I mean, I hold myself to very high standards. I don't like a lot of the finance writing that is out there. It's either too surface or it's too dense. So for me, I really like to write articles that humanize the topic, meaning I'm aiming to show what value it is in explaining this in the first place, yeah. you know, that human level, like why is this important to you? Sure. Um, and then a little bit of the technical. So I just like want to have a good blend. Yeah. So would you consider yourself now, most of the time you think about like an Eng someone with a background in English, they would consider themselves introverted. Are you, do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I don't know. And this is an identity crisis I feel had. <laughs> My whole life I was extremely extroverted, but I mean, on some levels, I feel like I'm also very reserved. There's a lot going on inside that is not shared with the outside world. Not yeah. in like a dark, morbid way, just, you know, got a lot going on up there. Yeah. Um, so I feel like uh, I'm a hybrid, you know, I am extroverted in social situations, but also like I spend every day working by myself. Um, my business is writing is a, a, a profession of isolation. So, you know, by nature. True. Well, I mean, but, but on the flip side, you have to go find clients yourself. You know, yeah. you have to bring them in and keep them happy. And, you know, that takes a, a, the skills of an extrovert. So it is interesting. So you're really both halves. Like, I, I would agree with you that writing, especially financial writing, has to be a lonely world, you know, <laughs> where, 
<laughs> you know, in your house, you know, reading and pecking away on your computer. But then you also have this business side where you have to have client relationships. So that is an interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I love um, the business side. Like, I love writing. I mean, I feel proud of the products that I've made at the end. Sure. But at the end of the day, if you were to ask me how I want to spend my time, it would be in business generation. Like, I could do it all day. I yeah. guess I like the marketing side of my business because I like generating business. I like um, finding creative ways to reach and connect with people, um, whether that's through written content or you know, video or on the phone or whatever it is. I love it. You know, yeah. I, I think that someday in the future, I will definitely be like a serial entrepreneur. Once I get this baby under control, <laughs> you know, get some more infrastructure, then I definitely see myself branching out and doing other things, maybe in the fitness or bringing my entrepreneurial skills to other areas, just because I love it. I mean, yeah. it just, yeah, that really fuels me a lot. Absolutely. Well, let's, since we, you brought up the fitness part of it. So you're the third female entrepreneur we've had on this podcast that it was had spent a significant amount of time doing competitive fitness, whether it be bodybuilding or, you know, those type of fitness things. So you're now a competitive bodybuilder, right? Yes, yes. So why do you think that world leads to, you know, how do, how do you think that what you learn in that world of bodybuilding translates over to what happens in, in, in the world of business? The first carryover really is just discipline. You know, obviously being an entrepreneur and starting a business, it's, they say, you know, it's, you spend like three times as many hours working on your business as you would like a regular salary, salary job. Like it's just taxing, you know, you've got to put the time in when, when times are good, when times are bad, doesn't matter. Like it always needs your attention, like yeah. a pestilent child. Right, right. <laughs> but I, mean, but I, I was thinking about this um, recently and I think it's like this principle of like progressive overload, right? So like when you start your business, you start out small and then you take on a little bit more and a little bit more. And in bodybuilding, you use progressive overload in the gym, you know, increasing your weights each session or each set um, to build strength. And I feel like no matter what area of life that you're in, but especially in the gym and in business, it's this progressive overload that, that strengthens you to like take on more and become better. So it's that 1% every day, yeah. that 1% better. The more you do it, whether it's, you know, lifting a dumbbell or putting in that extra time at work or taking on a client that you didn't think that you could handle, but you blow it out of the water. Like you build this mental toughness within yourself that you say, Hey, I can do this. I am hard and I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll just, you, it just, you keep building upon it like a callus and you just get better at it. Yeah. That's interesting because you know, your brain definitely is a muscle. So working that and like sort of pushing through those barriers that you, a lot of times you can say, all right, well, there's no way when I started doing this, I could, I'm making this up squat 270 pounds. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you do, and you're like, okay, well maybe I can do a little more. And then progressively it continues to go up. So that does make, make a lot of sense. I have to admit the discipline thing I always admire about, you know, people that are really into this, this fitness world. So I have to ask you, yeah. The meal that you ate the most often when you're getting dialed in for like a show or something, what is, what is your, that meal that you eat every day? It's chicken and asparagus. And are you so sick of it or are you, yeah, have you made that shift from I'm eating for fuel exclusively and not for enjoyment slash taste? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing when you, okay. So you have your off season and you have your competition season. So off season, 
you know, you get higher calories every day. You get more food. You're not really hungry. You shouldn't be hungry because you're trying to put on muscle mass. So when you get into competition season, it gets tough, you know, and you get hungry and that's when you want to do things you're not supposed to do. But you're so hungry that you're just happy for whatever food you get. So yeah. there's really no sick. I mean, you would eat dirt if your coach told you you could eat dirt because you just are happy you get to eat something. Right. So, I mean, on one hand, yeah, you get sick of asparagus. So you're excited for the moment that you can eat something else after your show. But at the same token, you're just happy you get to eat. Got it. <laughs> I get that. Totally. What was the first thing that you ate after your first show when sort of like you were allowed to eat whatever you wanted? Well, they, I mean, my coach at the time and a lot of, you, a lot of people bring like junk food in their suitcase to the show. So like when you get off stage, you can eat something right away. You like house a Twinkie as soon as you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a very common thing. <laughs> I really wanted donuts, but I couldn't find a donuts near the Miami convention center at four o'clock in the morning. So I had ordered these gigantic cookies and this is another thing in the bodybuilding world, oversized, overstuffed baked goods <laughs> I order them from all over the country for like $12 a cookie, $20 a brownie. It's kind of ridiculous. But anyways, I did win in Rome. It was my first show. So I ordered these gigantic cookies from Kentucky and um, they were amazing. They were amazing. It was just heaven. I mean, anything probably would have been good, but yeah, they were, they were good. <laughs> I, would have been happy I love it. That's great. Yeah. So, Let's talk real quick about, so now you work with your husband and yeah. how, how has that been? I mean, you know, you, you guys work, you live together all day. You work in the same office all day. You're basically four feet apart all day long. So yeah. how has it been working with David? I love working with David. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he would say the same thing, but um, I really like it. It was interesting at first. And honestly, after like the first six months, we kind of both looked at each other and were like, can you believe we're doing this and we haven't killed each other yet? Like yeah. we're opposites. Like I'm the ideas person. I'm constantly telling him all these great and wonderful things I want to do for the business. And he's like, okay. And he's like the practical, like logistical. He's like, first let's take care of this, Olivia. Like I told him the other day, I said, wrote him an email schedule a meeting with me to go over my ideas. And he looked at me and he said, excuse me, about me schedule a meeting with you to go over your ideas. I was like, yeah. <laughs> okay. What was wrong? <laughs> have you guys, have you guys read the book traction? No. So traction there's in a business, there's two people. There's a visionary and there's an integrator. A visionary is like tons and tons and tons of ideas. And just like keep, they can't turn off the ideas. And then the integrator is the one that actually makes those ideas happen. So it sounds like a perfect, uh, yeah. perfect business structure. And like all the things that I struggled with before, like putting things in my CRM and all of this stuff <laughs> to do back office. He is so great at it. He's, yeah. he's so organized. We have spreadsheets now. I yeah. mean, <laughs> no, that's all the stuff I hate when I have to go to a meeting and then, you know, we have a dictation software that I talk into my phone and I, mm -hmm. it takes little to no effort and I hate doing it because it, and it, but it needs to get into the CRM. So I'm with you on that, that, that kind of stuff I hate doing. Yeah. So it's really great. Like he's really good at helping me like bring, prioritize, keep things organized, keep, you know, everything in line. And um, so it's been working really well. And uh, I go to the gym a lot. So we have a little time apart. That's good. 
yeah. I, mean, I go to sleep at like eight o'clock at night, like right. grandma. So, you know. <laughs> I love it. So you, you get this idea, you said from your mother-in-law? Uh, yeah. So, so from your mother-in-law has this idea that, hey, financial advisors are horrible at writing and they want someone to write and they need help. How long did it take for you to go, all right, A, she's right, and B, we're going to do this? Like, how many clients well, like did an you hour. get? No. Oh, really? Well, okay, so uh, maybe I cut you off, but they live in Louisiana. So she came and visited. They usually come for like three days. So in the course of that three days, we had decided that, well, oh, first I started writing blogs. Before I decided I was going to like do the whole business thing. I just yeah. was like, I'm going to be a freelance. So then it was working out really well. The clients were really liking what I was writing. So I guess maybe it was the next trip she was here. And she said, let's start your business. She said, go in LegalZoom, become an LLC. Wow. Do, go to this website, get a logo. And then after that, I built my website. After I got my logo, my own business ownership license through Florida and all that crap. I built my own website, still the same one. I mean, I update it all the time, but yeah. I did that through GoDaddy and then started building my email list. Honestly, she helped me out there in the beginning too and gave me some of her contacts that I could reach out to. Sure. And then a lot of the beginning of the business was built on referrals. So it was email marketing and referrals really how I went from being like part-time freelancer to like, okay, this is supporting our household income. Amazing. That really is amazing. It's kind of interesting. You're like, oh, this is a good idea. And she basically pushed you off the ledge and said, we're doing this right now. Yeah. So, and all of us in the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. She's like, no, you, you, and she's, she'll like, so much. she's like, no, you did this. She's like, you could have done nothing. Right. You didn't. She's like, but you, you took it. Land with it. So, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Worry. I'm, I'm very obsessive. This is why bodybuilding works for me. Sure. And I just don't, I don't have a stop button. Yeah. Just keep right. going. Hence the ideas that David has to deal with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about advisor fit and what's that? I've, I saw that on your website. So that's a good combination, it seems, between the bodybuilding world and your, your uh, work life. Yeah, well, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't been recording as much as I wanted to. But business things happen. And yes, you should be blessings, of course. But, um, you know, uh, it's a video series that I started uh, called Get Advisor Fit. Um, mm -hmm. And it was using fitness analogies to explain marketing principles to financial advisors. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, even if you're not a bodybuilder, I mean, some of the things easier to understand through analogy, right? So um, I think one of them that I did was on like social media and content marketing is kind of like dieting and working out, right? You yeah. can work out all you want, but if you're going to go home and just eat two pizzas and drink a six pack of beer, you're working out. It's not going to help you at all. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, and that, and my, my analogy was social media. So like you can post on social media all day, but if you don't put posts to direct to your website, if your website isn't set up to collect leads, if you aren't nurturing people who do become leads with email marketing, then you're just, I mean, you're exercising, but you're not being productive. Yep. You're not going to see any physique changes. You There's know? no real plan there. Yeah. And it's just yeah. kind of, I mean, I'm trying to think of like an advisory analogy. I mean, you know, you can put, throw some money in the stock market, but if you don't have an investment plan or tax drag management strategies, you're, yeah. you're investing, but you're not going to be as productive as you could be. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think the most advisors when they, when they go to hire you, why do you think a, they hire you and B, what are their reservations about hiring you most of the time? 
Let's start with the reservations because I think that it's pretty common. The advisors don't really know what I'm talking about. So I've got to find a way to explain it that someone can understand who's outside of marketing and they don't really know what they need to move forward. Um, You know, what is going to help them with X, Y, and Z goals. So, you know, obviously that's the first thing. It's, it's a lot like financial planning in that way, you know, figure out what the goals are. First, you figure out where the liabilities are. You know, if you have a bad website, we have to fix that first. If you don't have your social media set up, we've got to fix these things first, get the infrastructure in place. Then we identify the goals. Is it to drive web traffic? Is it to increase your social presence? Is it to gain gain earned media? You know, it just depends what your goals are and then we can strategize from there. But I think that the reason that they do end up hiring me over, I would say, like another option is because I do my best. I think, I don't know. I I mean, I think (laughs) that it's because I don't know to know of my two advisors have the same plan each month. Right. So each advisor comes to me with different things that they have set up um, different resources. You know, you have your podcast, not everybody has a podcast. Some people do webinars. Some people don't do any of it. So your plan is not going to look like everybody else's plan. You know, I do have packages on my website, their baseline, but I, everything is catered to each firm or each advisor based on what they need. And I think that ultimately that's why, because they know that I'm going to be there to guide them um, to do what's best for them and not necessarily just what everybody says you should be doing. Right. To be able to come up with an individual plan for each advisor and then create content that matches that plan. I, I mean, that has to be a significant amount of work, especially if you're dealing with 20 people going in 20 different directions. It is. But I mean... So, I mean, you've got your core, your core marketing principles. I know if I put in X, what Y is going to be, it's just tweaking it to fit your firm. So putting out your content, that's why everything that I write is custom. Nobody ever gets anything that's reused. It's not coming from a bank. It's written based on what you do, the people that you serve and what your, you know, target audience is. And that is that uh, honestly, like that's been the biggest struggle is that, I am a control freak, but also it's hard to find help because I feel like the content that I create is is pretty darn good and I can't find anybody who can do it the way that I do. So as a business owner, that's my struggle because- Very common business owner problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting better with it, but um, you know- it's a, it's a process. Well, and it, it is difficult to scale your business if you're doing that. So I, I get it, a very common problem uh, yeah. for sure. So tell us a little bit about how the pandemic affected your business. I mean, obviously you're a virtual office, but how did the pandemic affect you guys? Um, the pandemic was really hard and only because, I mean, personally as a home-based business, it was hard because preschool was closed and I'm a three-year-old. Yeah. At the time. So um, all of a sudden, my right hand man is babysitting. Well, yeah. not babysitting, it's his kid, but you know what I mean? Sure. Um, watching our two year old, and my kids are trying to do virtual school, and I'm trying to write for every advisor who is frantically trying to get emails out to their clients. And I don't blame them, I'm trying to get them out too. But trying to work with everybody home, um, the little one, he would hear me on calls and then start, you know, banging on the door common problem. I know everybody had it, but I mean, I hate to say this, I guess about business did pick up during the pandemic for me, but I think that's just because I serve financial advisors who serve people who were panicking about their money. 
Yeah. So yeah. naturally we need to communicate with them more um, in, in very soft, calming, but informative ways. So demand was high during the pandemic for sure, especially from February, March, April. Um, you know, and I think because the demand for financial advisors escalated, demand for marketing and, and client outreach escalated. So yeah, I can't <laughs> complain there. For no, sure. for, no sure. for sure. I, the the um, thing that's interesting, I think, about this pandemic, it, and it's almost across the board virtually, if you didn't go out of business during the pandemic, you had an incredible year. Now, you, you can take hotels and restaurants out of that, that situation because right. that was a nightmare for them. But, you know, most people really had incredible years because everything sort of circled back to the pandemic. And, you know, like you said, clients are freaking out. They need help from their advisor. Their advisor wants to be proactive and talk to them. So that's a sort of like a perfect storm for you. Yeah, it really was. And it taught me a lot. I mean, I went from, you know, mostly writing about evergreen content to sure. all of a sudden there's a financial crisis. I'm one and a half years into my business, not without a finance background. Yeah. So I had to learn very, very, very quickly you know, what an inverted yield curve was and what that meant. And was there a recession coming and all of these things? And so, I mean, it was it was great because I was able to help a lot of people, a lot of advisors. Um, and it was great because I learned a ton. Yeah. I mean, a ton. And um, I don't, I mean, I'll certainly never forget it. It was definitely a period of time I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, I, I've been doing, I've been a financial advisor for 20 years. So my first week in this business was September 11th, 2001. Oh. So I've seen multiple aggressive downturns. So when this all happened, we had to sit down with all of our people, our, our young employees and say like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. You just need to talk to people. And yeah. having a, your your first crisis a year and a half in is first probably, crisis. <laughs> and and I you know I, I kept saying the velocity of the volatility in the market during that twenty two day trading period was probably was was insane and probably had people reaching out to you left and right so I mean to be able to have to learn all that stuff to be able to communicate it effectively a lot of anxiety all around for sure during that period. Yes, I definitely was feeling very anxious, but, uh, you know, yeah, so one of those, it's one of this, you know, mental toughness made me tougher. Made yeah. Me made me so tougher. as a business owner, if you can sort of look back on your, your span of, of owning a business, what do you think the biggest mistake that you made was that helped shape you to where you are today? The biggest mistake that I made. And don't say hire, hiring David because he's going to get wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was probably being afraid to hire sooner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that, and I knew it. I knew it because, I mean, I work with a lot of business consultants too um, that I've written for. I know that they tell you to not wait until you're in the weeds for to look for help, but you know, you worry about your cash flow and about your revenue, right? So you're like, I don't know if I can really afford this. Yes. And so you don't want to put yourself in a bad position. Right. Um, and, you know, especially as a young business, I didn't want to like overstretch my, my business. You know, I wanted to keep things positively flowing. And, yep. um, I, and I wish I would have just taken the leap sooner because now I'm more established and I've learned a lot more, but... I, I could maybe be two or three paces ahead if I had just bit the bullet and, and gotten help sooner. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You 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 brought up earlier about how you 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 sort of hesitate to relinquish control of of your writing and that sort of one. The other, I think, one of the biggest themes to owning a business is the cash flow fight versus the you needing help fight. And it's sort of like, well, I'm worried about cash flow, so I'll just keep doing these things that I hate doing, even though I know I need help because I'm afraid to hire someone. Yeah. And I even asked uh, my financial advisor, I was like, what's the magic number? How do I know when it's okay? You know, and I was like looking for like this black and white answer, like you make this and blah, blah, blah. Then you can hire this much. And, you know, I wish I would have just jumped in and said, you know what, I'll make it up somehow if I, if I get flipped over because it's done my whole life, you know, like a little turtle. I wish I would have looked for help sooner and not yes. just David, but you know, writers and people who help me with graphics and things like that. I should have just bitten a bullet because it's so much, it's so much help and, and it helps you open the door to help more, more clients. So, yeah, you're, you're so right. It, it, to look at it as an investment, as opposed to an expense is really a difficult thing to do, especially in the, in the infancy of a business. Yeah. Yeah. So one question I'd be interested in is if you could go and talk to someone that's thinking of starting a business, a female business owner, potentially, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to her? Don't be afraid to be different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Find your niche and stick to it. Uh, No matter what anybody says, it might take you a little bit, but it is so worth it in the end to not generalize Um, I am a firm believer in niche marketing. I see every every profession, writers, designers, pick a group of people that you want to work with. It is so much easier to target them. It is so, I mean, not target in a bad way, but connect with them. And it's so much easier to get business. If you try to serve everybody, you're going to end up serving nobody. That is great advice. Uh, uh, The idea of being a specialist in a highly focused clientele is, is great advice. It's just so much more rewarding too. I mean, it's good all around. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks, me too. It was so much fun. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more about Olivia and her company, go to her website, lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. And if you'd like to learn uh, more about how my firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. To hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy half hour.com. And finally, if you want to connect with me on untapped, my username is brcarney7. So now I have to review this beer. So I love dogfish head. And since it's from Delaware, I'm probably a little bit biased, but uh, I really like this. This is an 8.5% or 6.5% uh, beer. I'll give this a three and a half out of five rating. You have a rating for yours? Um, well, mine is not that high percent. Mine's only 5.2%. Okay. Um, but I like it. I've had other funky Buddhas before. I would give it, it's a solid three. Okay. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Now you have to go hit the treadmill to, 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 uh, I know I've been so bad now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Olivia. It was great to have you on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You too, Brian. Take All care. Right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC. 